I'm going to tell you a lie. Everything in your life will turn out fine. And since I'm lying, let me tell you some more. If you work hard enough, you'll always be successful. Your children will be perfect. Your marriage will be constantly exciting and filled with passion. You'll be successful at everything you set your mind to. Aging will be an exciting and romantic experience. When your parents get older, you and your siblings will agree on every aspect of caring for them. You can handle any challenge that comes your way on your own. Each year, you'll be recognized by your company for your contribu contribution and get a large raise. Money will make you happy. Those are all lies. And yet all of us buy into one or two of them to one extent or another. And because we buy into those lies, we bear the wounds of living in them, in our psyche, in our emotions, and in our souls. We are all becoming something. We're being trained into something. And that's what we're going to talk about in our new summer sermon series, Summer Fitness Goals. The thesis is that we're all training for something. We are actively or oftentimes passively in the process of becoming something. And I truly believe that most of the unhappiness and the unhealthiness in our lives comes because we're training for something other than following God. So in the sermon series, we want to make a conscious decision to be in training to follow God. Because following God will end up in lasting satisfaction and joy and hope and peace. So we're going to be looking at the same scripture passage for the next several weeks. It's out of 1 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul writes, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. So since we're going to spend a couple of weeks looking at this passage, let's take a look at the context. So what's the context of 1 Timothy? First of all, Paul, who wrote 1 Timothy, writes a good chunk of the New Testament, and his letters are usually grouped together by type. You have the early letters, called that because he wrote them first, like Galatians and Thessalonians, then you have the major letters, which are called that because they're longer than the rest of them, like 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Romans. You've got the prison letters, which were written, wait for it, from prison. Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. And then Timothy is part of what's known as the pastoral letters. The pastoral letters were written to Timothy and to Titus, who were pastors of churches, and they are pastoral in intent, helping them to be good pastors of churches, how to lead the churches and care for the church. The pastoral epistles are interesting, among other things, because all of Paul's other letters, with the exception of Philemon, were written to churches. The pastoral uh, epistles are written to individuals. So 1 Timothy is part of the pastoral epistles. It's about how to care for and run a church. So the specific purpose of 1 Timothy is um, leading a church is kind of like herding cats. 
So Paul is giving Timothy some pointers to get the cats moving in the same direction. And I'm no, I know that I'm not the only one in my line of work that faces this sort of challenge. I was at the doctor's the other day and he had a plaque that said, don't confuse your Google search with my medical degree. And I literally laughed out loud and I thought, oh, you are my brother. So, but Paul is addressing what's most important to accomplish for the mission of the church. In fact, some of the most difficult passages in the entire New Testament are in 1 Timothy, but that's a sermon for another day. So it's about local church. It's about what's important. It's about caring for people. It's about keeping the main thing the main thing. So let's get started. The portion we're going to look at today is verse 7a. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. These are the types of things like what I was talking about at the beginning. They're lies or myths or just things that are passed around or kicked about that are not true. And generally they're about what makes life successful or what, make life, what makes life worth living or what will make you happy. And we know that those aren't true particularly the things that I talked about in the beginning. But we get a picture in our mind of what life will look like. And it's based on lies that people have told us. This last week, Megan and I got away for a couple of days for our 31st wedding anniversary, uh, which is a little bit sobering because do you know how old you have to be to have been married for 31 years? Um, but we, we had a great time. We were celebrating. It was 105 degrees. We spent a lot of time at the pool, and we met some other people that we were there and, uh, while we were there, and a couple other people just thought that it was great that we had been married for 31 years, and one of the women came to us, like the second day we were hanging out at the pool, and she said, I, I, I'm going to be so old when I was married for 31 years. She said, I, I didn't get married till I was 37, and I didn't have a kid until I'm four, I was 40, so now I'm 47 and I have a seven-year-old kid, so I may never have what you have. And it made me think about another one, a friend of ours uh, who used to say, it doesn't matter if you're 22, 32, or 42. If you're changing diapers, that's what your life is. But this, this lady was essentially saying, there's something wrong with my life. Uh, I didn't do it right. You're gonna have something that I'm missing out on. And I kept thinking, Man, what you did was just fine. But everything that I see, you have a great uh, relationship with your husband, you've got a fulfilling life, and you've got a healthy kid. You just had it a little bit later on in life. But she, like many of us, just had this picture of what life was supposed to be like. And because her life didn't turn out that way, at some level, it made her really unhappy. We get this picture of what it's going to be like and it doesn't turn out that way. You, you didn't get married, or you didn't get married to the right person. Maybe you always wanted kids, and you couldn't have kids. The cancer or a stroke came. You lost your job. Your marriage failed. You weren't successful in business. Your relationships with your family are strained. People were right. It's hard to find a job with a degree in anthropology. Not everything in your life turned out great, and it feels like you failed. And it might even feel like God has abandoned you because somehow you believed that those were the things that were supposed to happen. Especially it's hard because it looks like they're happening to everyone else, like the woman at the pool. But here's the pro tip. You don't know the whole truth about other people. Social media 
presents a very carefully curated depiction of people's lives. People only share what they want you to know. But that's why these lies can be so dangerous. They create false expectations about what will make us happy and about what our lives should look like. So Paul wants Timothy, and by extension us, to have nothing to do with those things because they're destructive and because they will draw us away from God. And the feelings of disappointment and depression that come when they aren't fulfilled are not what God wants you to be experiencing. I mean, think about this. All those things, you know, the house with the white picket fence and the successful job and the vacation home and the RV and the well-behaved children, they all say, this is what happiness looks like. You'll be happy if you have these things. And so because people believe these things, I see so often people choose momentary pleasure over lasting satisfaction. The lies promise a few moments of happiness, but God promises a joy that lasts forever. I see so many people who believe these lies who have this inability to enjoy this, just the simple pleasures of life. It has to be bigger and it has to be better. And one of the most dangerous aspects about believing the lies is that it sets us up to chase something else besides God. Instead of chasing after things or after some of the lies, what if you just counted your blessings instead? What if you looked around and thought, this is my life. It has its challenges, but look at the blessings I have in friends, in family, in church, in whatever, in Jesus who never leaves me. And lots of the lies are counter to the gospel. And it leads to a dissatisfaction and even an unhappiness with God. Paul also is addressing some theological lies and old wives' tales here. Because people are teaching things as gospel truth that aren't truth at all. And people are beginning to believe those things. And it's damaging individuals and it's damaging the church. Because as is always the case, they were linking salvation to certain behaviors and to certain cultural beliefs. And if there's one thing that Paul insists on, it's that salvation comes through grace by faith in Christ alone. There's nothing that you can do, there's nothing that I can do to earn our salvation or to earn God's love. It's what Jesus has already done for us. But instead, people are coming up with this laundry list of things that you have to believe or that you have to do in order to have a relationship with God. And this not only cheapens what Jesus has done for us on the cross, it also just sets up one more standard of where you have to, be, you have to perform. It becomes what Jesus has done plus you trying really hard. The good news of the gospel, God's love and God's grace comes free to us. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has done everything that needs to be done. So you don't have to add certain behaviors and certain beliefs in order to earn your behavior. Now, in order to earn your salvation. Now, don't get me wrong. Believing in Jesus and following God will lead to certain behaviors and certain changes. Otherwise, it probably never happened. 
But don't confuse that with what you have to believe in order to make God like you. And so we want to be mindful of those things. We want to be mindful of what God has called us to as individuals and as a church. And we don't want to believe some of the lies of things that have to be added to the gospel in order to make us successful or things that have to be added to our belief system in order to make us real Christians or things that we have to do that will produce happiness that are outside of what God's will might be for us. I think as individuals, we always have to remember that for freedom, Christ has set us free, not for another set of bondage, not for other legalisms. As a church, we have to proclaim in word and deed the grace and love of God comes free to us in Jesus. So Paul says, don't listen to that stuff. Those lies, they will only cause problems for you. At the beginning, I said that the thesis of the sermon series is that we're all in training for something. We're actively or passively in the process of becoming something. We're in training. It will happen actively or passively. And so we have to be careful. We have to be intentional in our training because our training will produce something. So like many of you, I've got a news feed and every day I check it and it is relatively well curated depend because of the source that I look at. But when I was first getting into these things, somebody gave me some really good advice. They said, when, whenever you're on your feed, you know, whether it's your social media feed or your news feed or whatever, don't click on anything. And I'm like, why? And they're like, because it will learn your preferences. And then everything will be tailored to you. Now that sounds, you know, the benign thing is we're only going to show you things that you're interested in and not show you things that you're not interested in. But it learns what you want, and it begins to show you things designed to make you want them and to make you want more. I remember one time somebody called me up to complain about an inappropriate ad that was coming up on one of the church's social media accounts. And I sort of chuckled to myself and I said, well, let me tell you how this thing actually works. The inappropriate ad isn't on the church's website. The inappropriate ad is something that's on your computer that you have trained your feed to put there. So if that's there, that's all you, my friend. That is not us. But that's what it's trained to do. And that's how subtle sometimes the training on social media can happen to us. We train our social media and then our social media trains us. I mean, heck, I just had to buy a new furnace and even my thermostat can be trained. It's crazy. The big problem is is that once we start getting fed some of these things, once we start getting trained in some of these areas, we develop a taste for something and we always want more. Whatever we've had in the past, the next day isn't enough. We want more. We develop an insatiable appetite for things that will ultimately destroy us. One of my all-time favorite TV shows is The West Wing. And when I was thinking about this, I thought of one episode, and I went back and looked at it, and I, and I remembered it verbatim because I thought it was so powerful. Leo McGarry was the chief of staff in the White House, and Leo was an alcoholic and was a, a drug addict. And it, it, there was this problem with that, and he was talking to one of his subordinates, 
and was talking about being an alcoholic and how he had been clean and sober for six and a half years. And the, the subordinate asked him, after six and a half years, don't you want a drink? And he said, the problem is, I don't want one drink, I want 10. And that's what happens to us. It's not one drink, you want 10. It's not one inappropriate thing. It's further down that road than you ever thought you would ever go when you began. We begin to get insatiable desires for things that ultimately will kill us. We are being trained. What are you be being trained to become? Since we're being trained, and if we want to live lives that are significant and filled with joy and hope and peace, we need to take some active steps to be trained in God's direction because that will lead us to life. We have to actively reject some of the lies that we've believed and fill that space with the truth of the gospel. So if you think about active training, what are you feeling that God is calling you to as a next step? It might be to a deeper prayer life. It might be taking time to be more reflective. It might be getting outside of yourself and serving other people, creating a difference in people's lives in Jesus' name. It might be learning how to share your faith or learning how to recognize God's voice and God's presence in the midst of all the noise. It might be contemplating how to be content with what God has given you right now. So setting goals is going to be part of the homework for this week and throughout this sermon series because we're all being trained to become something. So let me ask you three questions in response to the sermon today. What lies about your life are you tempted to believe? Number two, what have you been training your mind and heart for recently? And number three, what are some spiritual fitness goals that you can set for yourself this summer?